Hello everybody and welcome back to season two of Sacred Stories. I am so happy to be back with a new season and interviewing some more wonderful, wonderful inspirational people. Um, so our first Sacred Stories is with Kathy Birch. Um, so this was originally done on Instagram Live. The first two episodes of this season were done on there. So just excuse the sound quality and the sort of background noise but to be honest the background noise is the beautiful Coco which is Kathy's um, little little baby girl so I think we can definitely excuse that. Um, so this episode we're talking to Kathy all about fertility as well as her yoga journey um, and nutrition and it's a really interesting episode so I hope you enjoy. Hi! Oh, I'm so excited <laughs> to have you on. Thank you so much, Kathy, for being our first episode of season two of Sacred Stories. Oh, always happy to be someone's first. Oh, it's brilliant. I'm so excited <laughs> to be here again. Thanks for having me. Um, so, oh, well. let's jump in because you're teaching tonight because the studios have opened and they've yes. called us. So, <laughs> let's go straight in there. Would you like to introduce yourself to everybody? Who you are, what you do? Oh, I've got purple oh. fingers as well, so if you see them, it's just because I've been cutting up beetroot and I can't get it off. So I'm not weird. I'm not I, love it. I always like to try and kid people that I've been doing like some sort of mass murder when I've been cutting beetroot. Yeah. <laughs> it's either you've got like yellow fingers from turmeric or purple from beetroot, isn't it? I know, it's brilliant. Never mind. Um, so hi everyone. Um, I am Kathy Lewis. Not, well, I am Kathy Birch, but I haven't changed my name yet. But um, I am a yoga teacher and nutritional therapist. And Annie asked me, I guess, to come on today just to chat a little bit about my story and kind of how how I got here, why I got here. Um, my focus, particularly in the nutritional space, is on fertility. So I work with couples who are trying to conceive, who have had problems conceiving for over 12 months. And I guess that's really close to my heart because it's a scenario that I found myself in. Um, unexpectedly um, but obviously have had a really positive outcome which I'm really pleased about with our little girl which you've definitely seen plastered all over Instagram <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. so yeah that's me amazing and we'll kind of go into that um, a little bit further on um, but I want to jump right back to the beginning of your story how did you um, get into yoga in the first place because I first met you when we did I think we were doing Pranavasha and then I came to a couple of your classes yeah, so I yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of years um, yeah. so what what's the beginning where did it all start oh I think the beginning yeah, I, I saw the questions you sent them through to me this morning so I have had a look at them but I haven't done a yeah. lot of preparation but it's fine we can cover them now um so I guess I started practicing yoga in 2011 mm-hmm. um and I'd never practiced yoga before I was very much kind of a gym person I trained for marathons I did a lot of high impact that's quite more not competitive sports but team sports um where there was like an outcome if you like and a winner like I like to be on the winning I was quite competitive but then I I had like a few things go on and on I was super busy at work I used to work in a corporate so my days were very long I used to party quite a lot so my nights were even longer and I'd made a few decisions that I wasn't particularly very happy about and so I just decided that I needed to do something different and then yoga wasn't really that popular then and I lived in London at the time well not popular in the pockets that I knew it wasn't really none of my friends really doing it. it I'd never even thought about being a teacher and there were there were studios but there weren't as many anywhere near as they are there are now and so one of my friends recommended that she'd seen on the road that we lived in Bikram yoga so she was like oh maybe you should try that 
So I just went along to a class and I think the kind of personality that I have, I'm, it's, I have quite an addictive personality and I enjoyed the intensity of Bikram and I enjoyed the discipline of it. Um, I didn't enjoy the heat so much, <laughs> but I found that from the minute that I started, it was just like a massive release for me and it allowed me to like focus my mind in a way that nothing else really did. And although it was quite an endurance exercise, it's 90 minutes and it's hardcore, isn't it? I always felt so relaxed and like clean and free after it. I couldn't, I couldn't really associate that feeling with any other exercise that I did really. So I was kind of hooked from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So how did you go from, cause the type of yoga that I know you teach it is quite I always come to your class when I know that I kind of I want to be challenged um, <laughs> I want my mind to be challenged and my body to be challenged but it's also kind of got a really nice flow element to it um so when when did you kind of decide you wanted to train and then how did that kind of yoga develop yeah so I decided I wanted to train after I'd had like I said I made a couple of decisions in my personal life that I wasn't particularly happy about and I felt for me yoga was like a real release for my body it brought up and allowed me to access a lot of feelings I suppose and thoughts about like things in my past that I hadn't really maybe addressed or even acknowledged were even there I kind of buried them in my body and for me I felt that it really offered a gateway to explore different emotions different feelings different sense of being and I, I kind of decided that it was something that needed to be explored more. So I took a sabbatical from work. I managed to get a three-month sabbatical. And like many people, took myself off to India. And I didn't do my training there. I just practiced and practiced and practiced like every day, probably for about six or seven hours. So more than what is probably advisable now. But what I felt like my body just needed to kind of go through those movements and those motions. And then it was Shivananda when I was in India, India predominantly. And for me, I felt that was kind of a bit too far the other way. Like it was really uh, restorative and a little bit challenging, but I kind of wanted something a little bit more kind of in the middle of those two, I guess. So then I came back to London and I went to a power yoga class with Dylan, who I brought up to Liverpool. So he's kind of my teacher. And I fell in love with that practice straight away. I felt like it was kind of a halfway house, if you like, in between um, the, this, the structural element of Bikram that I enjoyed but it allowed for more individuality and personalization within the practice because you can tweak it a little bit the structure is is there but it's not set and I felt that for me um, I feel that people need to have that um, flexibility within the practice to uh, accommodate for their body type structures and it felt like it was the right it just felt like the right fit so I really like Dylan as well I feel like he's got amazing energy and I just thought this is definitely the the time for me to train so I did and then I qualified in 2013 so it's quite early really in doing my training from when I started to practice myself really yeah yeah so for those people who maybe don't know what power yoga oh, yeah. is, I know I do it all the time and then I'm like, people actually maybe don't know. Yeah, so power yoga is it's from the Baron Baptiste School of Yoga and it is kind of based on Ashtanga principles, I would say. But there are um, set series within the sequence that you can mix up. So they have like a standing sequence, for example, a crescent lunge series. They've got the, um, the sun salutations and then they've got the hip openers. So but you can move those sections around in theory as opposed to following them in the same order. And I would say that as I've evolved in my own practice, I don't adopt that strict structure anymore like you'll have been to my class and now I very much kind of 
have a plan in place when I teach, but I'll always just see what's happening in the room and then I will ch change and adjust depending on what the energy is because I think a huge part of the power yoga sequence, I guess, in terms of its principle is it's very much about kind of transformation and you access that transformation through the physicality of the postures because it is challenging and it does encourage you to kind of hold postures for a little bit longer even though it is a vinyasa based sequence and I think that a lot of people kind of want to do fast flows or they want to be very static whereas this is a bit of a combination of the two and the longer holds are intentional to um kind of encourage you I suppose and give you confidence that you can be in a space and that you can deal with whatever comes up in that posture at that time and then you can move on from it so you can take that comfort I guess that you have developed on the mat into your real life and it's also supposed to be practiced in quite um, a hot room as well so we don't really have the capacity to do that at the moment not as hot as Bikram but it is intended to be kind of a, a pitta vata um, kind of a pitta enhancing practice I guess it is about building the fire and releasing energy definitely did that for me anyway <laughs> that was a bit of a long explanation sorry feel free to cut me off I just go off no 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 that's good it's actually quite good like, although I've, I've been to power yoga and I sort of have an understanding I obviously no one's ever actually explained it to me because that's not my school of yoga um so yeah. it's quite good to hear because I do I, well, I really enjoy your classes I know that <laughs> that's good <laughs> that kind of um like it's that strength it's like it does clear your mind when you're when you're pushed and it's because you do hold things in your classes you hold postures and you make us mm. I feel like I really have to and I think for a yoga teacher sometimes you don't feel very pushed um in a class um but because yours feels slightly different it, I'm kind of pushed out my comfort zone a little bit which I, I like yeah I like and that's people yeah, that's part of it as well. It's kind of like not really knowing what's going to come next because mm -hmm. a lot of us quite like sometimes the routine and we like the certainty, but life isn't certain, is it? So it's kind of teaching you as well, I guess, yeah. indirectly to deal with that as well and for it not to really be a problem. Um, yeah. It's quite a nurturing practice as well, I think. Like, even though it is quite challenging, even though it's definitely challenging, I do feel like it's very supportive and like I said because there's so many options for you to adjust the practice and the sequence depending on body type and there's not like you know set alignment specifically then that's more individual and a bit more personal. Um, so moving on to nutrition because the other thing that I do find like I, I really want to talk to you a little bit about is nutrition because when I first met you as well you were still working in an office and um, I think you were actually working in Manchester at the time so you were kind oh, of yeah probably that was when I first yeah. moved back about five years ago yeah Oh, wow. Gosh. Yeah, no. I know. Time flies, eh? It really, it really does. I don't know where the years go, but never mind. Um, <laughs> we won't go there. <laughs> yeah, let's not. <laughs> um, but when, when did your kind of journey with nutrition start? Did it start at a similar time as the yoga, or did that sort of kind of develop? Yeah. Yeah, kind of my nutrition experience, I suppose, started when I was doing yoga, because as part of our training, we were encouraged like not to have any meat. I'm a... I eat everything, by the way, just to <laughs> clear up any, any myths. I'm, like, I'm not a vegetarian or a vegan or anything like that. And I know that kind of in the early days, that was kind of encouraged a little bit for yoga teachers and uh, for various reasons. But well, in the circles that I was operating in anyway, um, and we were encouraged as part of our training, like not to have meat to, we were almost forced into fasting a little bit and to kind of extend our eating times because of the amount of practice that we were doing. And I really noticed that 
my attitude towards food changed quite a lot during that period and I really noticed things that I wasn't really aware of before like when I introduced them back into my diet like caffeine for example and gluten that they just I felt them and I didn't really ever feel them before like at the time I was working in recruitment and I was drinking probably about seven Starbucks coffees a day eating maybe three double snickers because <laughs> wow. I love chocolate and like you know to look at me I looked fine like I was like quite muscular I didn't have any spots or anything like that like I see I would look like I was relatively healthy but my insides definitely wouldn't have been I was drinking like so much alcohol like so many sweets like eating rubbish afterwards you know and you've got a hangover just like standard things that people do mm-hmm. and then because I did the training, I, I, when I took all those things out, I was like, oh, do you know what? There's, there's something around the way that your body is and the way that your mind works. Like, there is that real mind-body connection. And I'm really interested from an academic perspective about how things work. And so the biochemistry aspect of it really interested me. And when I decided that I was going to move back up north as well, I just decided that I wanted to do something else that would kind of tie alongside my yoga, but that I could also maybe use in the corporate world. That I could do in the corporate world. So I just decided to explore more around nutrition and see how that could also be utilized as a tool initially just for my own interest really from an academic perspective but then as I got more into it I could see that it can be a useful tool for wellness alongside yoga as well mm-hmm. okay yeah. and how has nutrition developed so maybe, maybe now is kind of a good kind of time to talk a bit about how you develop nutrition for fertility because I didn't know that that was a thing until you started talking about it yeah, and so I'm yeah, kind of yeah. quite interested in how how that's developed and also what is it <laughs> Yeah, good point. Well, I guess nutrition, just as a general concept, is just about the different nutrients that we take in as part of our our diet, essentially. And it's focused about the work that I do anyway, because I look at it from a functional medicine perspective. So it's very much about much much about like systems-based biology. So it's understanding how the different systems in our body work physiologically, what nutrients are required, what nutrient cofactors are required to make certain chemical reactions happen for those systems to function optimally. And I think that if we think about anything and we take it back, if we have any kind of dysregulation within the body that is caused from a lack of nutrients, which is very, very easy to actually happen, then it just knocks everything out. And fertility is one aspect of our lives that can be impacted by having a suboptimal diet. And it's not just about food. I would say fertility and the way that I operate, I look at it very holistically. So I think about food, I think about movement, I think about lifestyle, sleep, like all of those real basic like fundamentals and put them all together. Because even if you're eating the best diet in the world, but you're sleeping like two or three hours a night or you're drinking loads of coffee or you've got lots and lots of stress, then it's not going to be enough. And I think that we live in such a busy world now and we have so many demands on our time. We have so many demands on our energy that finding a way to support yourself optimally through some very basic things, I think, is really helpful. And that's kind of what I what drives me, because I'm not somebody who just wants to you know, sit at home with the blinds drawn and hope that nothing's going to happen. I'm going to I'm going to be OK because I don't do anything like I want to live my life and I want to live in the real world. And I want to have a job and I want to, you know, do X, Y, and Z. So it's, it's not about taking those things away. It's about adding extra things in that allow you to do those things. And, you know, a lot of people on the fertility journey, especially like myself, who have been busy or had like corporate jobs or 
have had a lot of stress that they've not really identified as being stresses and haven't dealt with a lot of stuff that is actually causing stress internally, then little things around food and lifestyle can make a huge difference to them. So that's kind of why I focus my practice around those areas because I've, I've done it. I've seen it myself. Like I, I am that person. <laughs> so I really, I feel... And I understand kind of where they're coming from. I understand the pressures that people might have. And I understand that it's quite, um, it's, it feels like a bit of a minefield. Like there's so much information about nutrition that's conflicting. And it's, I'm not saying if it's right or wrong. It's just that it's very individual. And so like when you work with an individual practitioner, they can help you to identify what's right for you and put together a plan that's right for you rather than just looking kind of very generally. Mm. I don't know if I explained it in enough time. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. yeah. Um, so do you want me to tell you like kind of the things that I do with my clients yeah. for example yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I would for example if I have a client come to me we would generally go through like a lifestyle questionnaire and as part of that questionnaire we would include a food diary so that's just kind of literally a, a table where they would just tell me the kind of things they would eat each day breakfast lunch and dinner what kind of drinks they would take in kind of what timings and then the lifestyle questionnaire is looking again at each of the different body systems so I'd ask them specific questions around like their digestive function like how many times they're going to the loo and how many times they're passing a stool and do they notice anything about you know the color the smell the texture people don't often know that this sorry if anyone's having their tea by the way um (laughs) just have to get like it's quite personal (laughs) you get into quite a lot of details and then you know I'll go through for example their reproductive health we talk a lot about people's cycles because that is often kind of the roots or it's, it's a very big indicator of where some of the root issues if you like can be like when they started their periods when we know how frequent they are what's the length of the cycle how do they feel like do they notice any other changes all little kind of subtle questions um and we go through like each system with you know quite a lot of detail and then at the end of that then we work together to put together a plan for them based on what their goals are and what systems if you like I think are under stress and how we I think we can support them through food and then if necessary also supplementation Um, and I do find that with most of my clients supplementation is needed and I know there's kind of a lot of people that are not comfortable with that and I always take the food first approach because that's obviously the best route and the cheapest route but for a lot of people and for some nutrients in particular like it's just not feasible to expect that we can get the volume that we need in the food sources that we have available to us today so yeah we do that and then I also recommend some lifestyle changes so we look at their sleep we look at modifications and enhancements for that um I would recommend like different movement patterns so if the yoga is often feature of high protocols for obvious reasons but it's all kind of evidence-based so it's not just what I think it's what is being shown to work in the literature and there's a lot of research now that actually shows that certain nutrients and certain behaviors if you like and lifestyle preferences are beneficial and also can be detrimental so it's just kind of sharing and educating information sharing information educating people around the options that are available and the consequences um and then if they want to go into more detail then we have access to lots of different tests as well so like functional medicine testing so we can look at laboratory based um blood markers urine markers saliva markers so that we can actually see what's happening in the body so it's not it's not guesswork it's a lot more accurate than that it's really interesting it's so interesting yeah i'm really lucky to work in a space (laughs) Yeah, and because when did you start doing this piece of work? I've started 
I've been kind of doing nutritional therapy since 2014, but I qualified in 2017, so it's been three years. Like I had, as part of my course, I qualified with the um, uh, training college in Manchester, the um, School of Natural Medicine, and they have a 200 hours clinical practice as part of their course. And that's the reason why I chose actually, because it's quite, it's very holistic, but it's also very practical. So while you get the benefit of the three years of training from an academic perspective, you've actually been in clinic and seen like real life situations and you have your own real life clients. So you're not just looking at it from an academic perspective. You're actually seeing what really happens in the body. If you do this, what happens if you do that? And you obviously benefit from your own clients, but you're seeing lots of other people's as well. So I've been doing that. And then I also do loads of extra CPD. So I'm a member of the Institute of Functional Medicine and they have like super amazing doctors. Um, they have lots of different practitioners, um, like really big thought leaders in the nutrition space as well. And within the biochemistry space that are lecturers, practitioners, clinicians. So it's amazing. Like there's so many resources available through that route as well. Yeah. Sound, it just sounds incredible because like I said it's completely this this side of things is completely new to me I just think it sounds pretty mm. amazing um did you put you know when you um were going through your own fertility journey obviously you've got a beautiful bundle of joy now and um, yeah. did you put any of these practices into place then is, is yeah that so my fertility journey is a little bit of a, a random one I guess because obviously we were tr we were trying to have a baby but we I was but I wasn't like my, in my mindset at the very beginning I wasn't really in the right place to, to think about getting pregnant because I was studying I was working I was training for marathon as well at the time and then and then it happened that I got pregnant with an ectopic pregnancy and at that point and because I was a bit older I was 36 35 36 at the time it just really shocked me into thinking okay well if my fertility could be compromised I really want to make sure that I'm going to be able to have a baby because I'm adopted as well. So having my own family was always a real big thing for me. And um, yeah, so it made me think that I wanted to really understand what was going on more in my body. And equally, when I had that topic pregnancy in the hospital, I felt that my knowledge around my body systems really allowed me to have more informed conversations with the doctors about what would be next for me because standard protocol often when you have an ectopic pregnancy and for anyone who doesn't know what that is it's when you get pregnant but the fetus starts to grow if you like and develop in the fallopian tube rather than in the womb so what you normally will have is you can either have like an op operation called a salcom sal salchemogoptomy where you basically take an incision in the fallopian tube and you take the fetus out or some clinics will have practice that they will just take a fallopian tube away and I was only relatively early in my pregnancy so I was really fighting to keep my tube because I wanted to preserve my fertility and you can get pregnant with only one tube so it's not like impossible but obviously the dynamics are going to be a little bit different um, and I was really it, it really um, opened my eyes if you like to what what might happen if you were less aware or less confident or what you know what the outcome could be if you didn't have that information to be able to kind of fight your own corner for what you wanted for your own body and what I wanted for my body rather than what was kind of a set protocol and I'm not saying that it's wrong but I'm just saying that it's what 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 is right for me may not be what was preferred by the clinic if that makes sense so yeah 
happen. I think that, yes, yeah, so to answer the questions, I definitely did put some of my protocols in place. So after the topic, I really calmed things down at work. I took a massive step back and I didn't volunteer for extra things. At the time, I was doing a lot of extra things for well-being. I was doing, I was like extra curricular girl at work, but I just decided that my own health was my own priority. Um, I implemented really strict sleep routines. So I was made sure that I was in bed every night by 10 o'clock. I stopped drinking. <laughs> Um, <laughs> which I found really tough because <laughs> I don't yeah. like a glass of wine um, I changed my eating habits like I cut out sugar like all of the things that I'd been learning about that um, my diet was pretty good anyway because I was you know I, 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 because I was learning about things but I was really strict about certain aspects that I knew would be uh, detrimental to my fertility I did a lot of testing I tested my hormones I tested my stools I did a, <laughs> did a, a stool sample I did my adrenal testing tested my genetics because I just wanted to know what was going on really and through all of that stuff I felt like I was in a much better place to move forward um we obviously decided to go for IVF that was a choice because I was concerned that if I had a damaged tube that we could try and it one it may happen again but also I felt for me I was I was apprehensive about the time and if I look back and I think about my profile objectively and I'm not emotional about it because it's not me, I don't think I would have needed IVF. I think I could have got there by myself, if that makes sense. Mm. But I'm not saying it's a bad thing to go through IVF because obviously I've done it and I think it's, it's amazing. But I think sometimes people may feel the fear and opt for IVF because they think it's a it's their only option and I kind of really want to help to work with women for them to understand that it is an option and it's always it's there for you but it doesn't necessarily have to be the option like it, there could there are often things that you can do as basic building blocks to check your reproductive capacity mm. and try naturally and, and have a pregnancy naturally um so that that's kind of another thing as well but then also thinking about the the pregnancy element and making sure that from a preconception perspective that all of those nutrients are in place so that when you do get pregnant it's an easy it's an easier pregnancy and my pregnancy was so easy like I didn't have any problems at all I had a baby at home my first baby um you know in a really good time she had no complications like she's been fine so I do think that all of those things make a are a big contributing factors to how you feel during pregnancy and then afterwards as well like I was I was fine after pregnancy like I lost all of my pregnancy weight quite easily as well and I didn't do really anything to do it it just it just happened because my metabolism was just able to go back because I think I had the building blocks in place to support it that's really interesting so it's good yeah Yeah, because that's that's what I always especially because I'm I'm now at an age as well where my friends are having children and it's kind of like this world is kind of starting to open up for me yeah Um, and a lot of the things that I hear is I'm so scared that I'm not going to have the body that I had before I was pregnant or, you know, the ability to hold my wee in and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. These are like real fears that as women yeah. we do have um, about, obviously, you know, if you want children, that, that innate kind of mothering thing is there. But there are those fears and those worries around pregnancy and about yeah. the after pregnancy of not being the same. Um, yeah I mean you are different like you are yeah, a different cool. person after you've had a baby because you are. <laughs> yeah. and, but I would say like 
all of those fears are definitely very well valid but it's we have their fears because no one really talks about them like no one really says about like what happens immediately after have a baby no one really no you can't really prepare a hundred percent for it because everyone's experience is different but you can prepare in certain ways to kind of make the transition a little bit easier and yeah definitely um the pelvic floor situation is definitely one for everyone to think about but it's like anything you train before it so you train your pelvic floor before you train during and you train afterwards and then those things don't necessarily become a problem but you know if you if you ask women they will tell you but people don't always volunteer that information um isn't it because actually you know it's something that well as, as women we go through so much we go through our menstrual cycles and so many people have gone through childbirth yeah. um, but yet we do not speak about it and I, I remember actually I, I'm sure she won't mind me saying my sister sent me a, a video of my nephew being born and oh, I suddenly yeah. the first time ever it was, he's nearly two now but I saw a, a baby being born and I suddenly was like I, I had no idea what what happens during this process <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it like I couldn't believe like kind of how he came out like, I literally and it was it was yeah. beautiful and amazing but yet there is no kind of dialogue there around yeah. it it's really funny yeah I think it's because as a as a pregnant person as well and because I wanted to have a baby at home Mm. and the reason I wanted to have a baby at home is kind of going back to my birth story I'm adopted as I said Mm. earlier and my mom was diagnosed with schizophrenia about six months after I was born Mm. and that was like nearly 40 years ago and we know that mental health diagnoses have changed dramatically in that period and we also know now that you know, symptoms of mental health can be displayed in many different ways. And she was a new mom. She was a single mom. She was at home alone with a baby looking after me. I don't know whether I was a good baby or not, but I knew that I had quite a traumatic traumatic delivery. And I think that that maybe had an impact on her mental health. And for us as a, as a family back then, that obviously had a big consequence. Mm-hmm. And so my preference to have a baby at home was very much about kind of bringing my baby if you like into the world in a very calm way like I didn't want to repeat my birth story Mm. with her Mm. and so I really did a lot of work around like visualizations and a lot of work on um, hypnobirthing to try and mentally prepare myself what would happen because I think again a lot of women go through pregnancy and they're like oh I'm pregnant it's amazing and it is amazing but you don't always think about the actual exit strategy (laughs) and when it comes to it you know it's a big thing and it's it's one of the most vulnerable positions that you can be in as a female because you don't really know what's going to happen you don't know if you're going to need any medical intervention like you don't know you don't know what's going to happen at the end of the day you want your baby to be safe and that is all that you want and it's like you have to really be willing to like let go of of fear of control and I think that was a big thing for me like yoga really played a massive part for me like the um the lady who was um helping my midwife was saying oh my god it was just like amazing I was watching you and I was I was like talking and I was doing all my deep breathing but it was all music that I played in my classes and like music that I played in my pregnancy yoga so it was all very familiar to me so when she was coming it just felt so natural and so comfortable that yeah, I was able to like surrender to that moment. And I think that if I hadn't had my yoga background, for me, I think I would have had a whole different experience because I would never have been able to open and be vulnerable in that way. Whereas yoga has taught me 
that it's okay to be vulnerable in in many ways and it's actually better to be vulnerable in a lot of ways mm-hmm. that was a bit deep sorry no, it's okay. it's so interesting you know even you know the whole thought process about having your home birth and everything like that it's just you know you thought it through so well and I know that yoga and the wellness has given you the tools to be able to do that and so you know it does it it makes you check in with yourself a bit kind of yeah, better exactly. just with the processes you've been through um I'm also really intrigued by we are going to run out of time in a moment but I am really oh yeah sorry <laughs> <laughs> just because I know you're teaching um, but like having a home birth, you know, actually you don't really hear about people having home births these days. I mean, I, do you know, I wasn't even sure you could still do it. <laughs> yeah, well, it, with COVID restrictions right at the moment, I think it's mm-hmm. less possible because they've got a limited number of people available but yeah as a woman it's your right to have your baby wherever you want and you know I think that a lot of people don't necessarily know that and it's also very not saying it's not natural in the hospital but if you, if you imagine the route out if you like for a baby it's down so gravity means that you're more likely to have an easier passage if you're vertical rather than laying on your back Mm-hmm. and also the environment of the hospital as well you know it's very bright it's mm-hmm. I mean I wouldn't want to go for a wee with all people staring at me never mind have a baby so uh, if you're uh, quite a private person yeah. the external stimulus and the environment we know does have an impact on the way that the body responds like we know that we know that biochemically that that has an impact so when you're trying to encourage relaxation and release being in your own environment for me was like a massive thing and I was a bit apprehensive and thinking oh god like you know what if it doesn't go right and I've got to adjust my mind to going into the hospital because you know a lot of people give birth in hospitals and it's fine but for me I I just wanted to be at home and I was really like okay it's gonna be fine if I have to go to hospital go to hospital it'll be fine and I was kind of talking myself through it but I don't know what I don't know how it would have gone if I had gone into hospital but um yeah the home birth for me was really it was really easy and it was really nice and the nice thing about it is that afterwards then you're kind of already at home so you don't have that anxiety maybe of leaving a controlled and safe environment to be you know let loose with a baby that you don't have a clue how to look after it's just like you're just there and it's just it's just much easier transition just in a pool so we had a birthing pool in our lounge um Duncan was here it's just me Duncan the midwife and yeah she was born at 2 14 on the 1st of September so it was it was nice oh gosh and how welcome into the world she is and she oh she is beautiful <laughs> I mean I know I'm biased but she is cute <laughs> oh absolute cutie really really beautiful um so kind of rounding up a little bit I always um very kind of off topic I always end my sacred stories with a really random question because I feel like it just gets a little bit of an insight into who you are in a very different way I know I saw that question I was like I don't know what I'm going to say for this and I feel like I should have a really interesting food because I'm a doing nutrition I've had all sorts it's really interesting so the question is for no one who's ever watched it before is what food best represents you and why? Oh, God. So my, I had two answers. My first one was going to be an onion. And then I was like, oh, no, everyone's going to say I'm an onion because I've got lots of layers. Has no one said that? Have they not? Oh, my God. Well, I was like, oh, maybe I'll be an onion because I've got, like, lots of layers. And I think that if you – I've definitely changed a lot, I suppose, over time. And if you get to know me, you'll know that there's different facets of my personality. But if you, if you saw me out, for example, you might – 
you might assume certain things about me based on kind of the exterior but there's lots of different things that kind of go on I would say that I'm quite kind of versatile as well and onions are versatile they go with a lot of things mm-hmm. <laughs> have lots of uses the base of most things as well yeah. so that's quite like quite yeah thing. quite grounding and mm-hmm. also just like a bit of an a bit understated like I'm not really an in-your-face kind of person I don't think um people might disagree with that but I'm I'm, a, I'm quite basic and quite foundational in a, in a lot of ways in which I approach stuff. But like I said, I'm quite versatile in, in my responses to things. And yeah, hopefully like I'll be around for a long time, like an onion as well. I'm not smelly though, not smelly. So, uh. And then my other option I was thinking of, I was like, maybe I could be a porridge oat because they're quite versatile and they're resilient and they're quite, ba- they're quite like a staple. Mm-hmm. like they're always good to have around um again quite grounding mm-hmm. um but not not really fancy I'm not really a fancy pants I wouldn't say I'm quite quite under the radar <laughs> yeah. I think they're both really good options to be honest no one has <laughs> said no and no one said no I Oh, oh yeah, I could have been a chocolate. I oh, will. Yeah. If I was a chocolate, I'd be. If I was going to be a chocolate, I'd be a bouja bouja. They're like my favorite oh, chocolates. Bouja bouja is a good shout. It's a good shout. They're so expensive, though, aren't they? They're treats. They're <laughs> yeah, they are treats. Oh, happy. Been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you for having me. Oh, it's been lovely to hear all about kind of your journey and kind of how you are now. And you know, if anyone wants to get in touch with Kathy, if anyone's sort of trying for a baby or is in a process um, and maybe they're a little bit stuck or need to reach out to someone, highly recommend reaching out to Kathy yeah. anyway because she, you know, you're just a lovely person. Um, oh, thank you. It's <laughs> <laughs> all right, more than that's right. Okay. Come in and tell me everything. Um, so yeah, so just thank yeah. you so much for such a lovely, lovely chat. It's oh, thank you so much. Your face. I haven't seen your face in ages. So it's I nice know. No one's really seen anyone's faces, have they? It's just been a, such a strange time. And I think especially now, because we're in lockdown and we're, it can feel quite isolating. And if you're going through a fertility journey, and especially if you're on the IVF train and things have been paused or you were due to have your appointment and they've been cancelled, then there are so many things that you can do now to prepare so that when you are able to go to the clinic and you are ready to start your treatment, that you're in a really good space. So it's not lost time. It's kind of although it doesn't feel like it, it's time that you're given so that you can really maximise and op- op- like optimise your health so that you can have the best chance of success when you go forward, really. Yeah, brilliant. So get in touch. <laughs> you need some yeah. advice. <laughs> <laughs> right, my love, I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and I will hopefully see you soon. And thank you, everybody, yes. for watching. Uh, thank you. Nice to speak to you. Thank you. See you soon. See you soon. Bye. Treat fingers. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Oh, wasn't that just fantastic? Really enjoyed chatting to Kathy. Um, some beautiful points and just lots of information. Even I felt like I learned quite a lot during that chat. If you want to know more, if you want to get in touch with Kathy, uh, you can go via Instagram. Her page is at sweetorange underscore nutrition and she posts some beautiful things. I really highly recommend following her actually. I get quite a lot out of her posts, really enjoy them. Um, and she is a very around if you want to contact her about your own facility journey or if you've got anything that you've heard in this podcast that you want to reach out to. You can also reach out to me. You can find me at neat underscore yoga. Thank you so much for listening. It's been amazing to have you all tune in. If you are enjoying it, please share with your friends and we will be back with some more. Thank you so much. And remember, 
you are enough. See you soon.